Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangout. Today we have Jerry Dendrinos here who is the current president of the Australian Homeopathic Association and he's also a homeopath and a herbalist. Welcome Jerry. Hello Eugenie, thank you. So uh, let's just jump right into it. Uh, I would love to hear about your journey of how you discovered homeopathy, how you got into it and where it's led you to so far. Sure. Okay. Well, like most people, I've never heard of homeopathy, and um, I, I did a science degree uh, here in Canberra at the ANU, and then I worked for a year, ironically, as a researcher in malaria. Um, little did I know that had a lot to do with the way Hahnemann started homeopathy in discovering Sinchona. Um, and one thing led to another, and essentially I had a series of personal health issues, uh, mainly anxiety and some depression that... Um, came upon me and so I did what people do. I went to a medical doctor and very quickly realised the system had very few answers uh, and also I found that psychology really didn't have any answers either. And um, one day I went to a herbalist actually. He was a herbalist and a homeopath and an acupuncturist and um, he gave me a treatment and later I went to his colleague who was a homeopath and things started getting better. And I was just highly intrigued. Um, I, I found that homeopathy held the space that could cover everything I was going through, whereas nothing else could, and um, I never looked back. And so I did so well that I then uh, decided to start studying homeopathy and, and herbal medicine. I was um, uh, reading a textbook from, I think a surname was Cullen, a gentleman back mm -hmm. in the late 1700s who wrote about conchona uh, being a good treatment for malaria because it is um, uh, because of its certain properties that it have, um, has. And then it actually turned out that Hahnemann ended up taking small bits of this himself and then producing the symptoms of malaria and then coming to the conclusion of like cures like, which is the principle that homeopathy is based on. So, yeah, just thought I would clarify that. <laughs> um, now, you are the current uh, Australian Homeopathic Association president. So, you know, how did you get yourself into that role and what sort of challenges and um, things has it brought up for you and how have you found that? Oh, well, th well, that's a very big question, Eugenie. Um, it goes back a few years. So that starts with, um, so in the early 2010, 2011, I started working um, in the Therapeutic Goods Administration part-time. I also ran my clinic. They were good enough to let me work part-time in clinic as a homeopath. Um, and the week I started at the TGA, the NHMRC, that's the National Health and Medical Research Council, had produced a draft statement on homeopathy that was leaked to the media. So almost a week I started, that happened. And so from the word go, I was embroiled in a little bit of... Um, I guess ideology and politics and then I observed over the next few years the NHMRC then um, of course because the statement was quite negative and leaked and was not based on any evidence uh, they instigated a review of homeopathy and from my vantage point within government I could see very clearly that it was not an authentic review it was intended to produce the answer that was in the initial leaked draft statement. They just wanted to justify the statement. Um, so I left the TJ in 2015 and because I, um, I had an ethical concern at the way public money was being used to do this process. I just couldn't be there anymore for that reason. 
and I got tapped on the shoulder to join National Council to um, what's the word to let's to fight that report from the other side. Let's put it that way. Um, so I joined the AHA Council, and the first thing we did was uh, conduct an investigation on the way the NHMRC conducted the review. Firstly, by instigating a freedom of information campaign. And from there, we put together a a dossier and a formal complaint to the Commonwealth Ombudsman for investigation. And uh, one thing leads to another, and then you end up becoming the president. So it wasn't by design, it was by (laughs) just being there at the time. Hmm. So, you know, everything that you've said now is obviously a complete understatement of what's actually happened because you have just worked absolute countless hours um, on this whole report. I wonder if you can maybe tell us a little bit more about it. So you were also featured in the documentary Just One Drop, and I cannot recommend that documentary high enough because it actually <clears throat> is going to give you a lot more information on exactly what Jerry is talking about at the moment, all the you know more behind-the-scenes stuff. But are you able to maybe, for listeners who haven't watched that documentary, just maybe mm-hmm. give us a little bit of a recap of exactly what happened and... Sure. Look, again, it's a very, like you said, I gave you a very high-level summary, but it's been a really very intense and a very long journey. Anyone who's had to deal with um, challenging government will realise how difficult it is. And um, even when they know they've done the wrong thing, their response is always to defend themselves against the public. They never admit they're wrong. Um, So the first thing we did was we actually had a meeting with the NHMRC in late 2015, a face-to-face meeting, um, there was me, the CEO of Complementary Medicines Australia, and a lawyer, and they had 11 people in the room uh, against us, including their business manager who was assessing risk, and um, we put certain facts in front of them that we had elucidated by that time, uh, which is only a fraction of, we've, of what we found out later. Um, they were very, very nervous, and... Um, Essentially, the meeting ended with an understanding, well, we'll see you on the battlefield. They weren't going to budge an inch. Um, So we instigated a freedom of information campaign, and that revealed... So um, I'll give you in two minutes what we discovered, which is in the documentary, which actually took three years of blood, sweat and tears and independent scientific analysis, etc. So in 2012, the NHMRC um, hired a contractor to do the review, on homeopathy from the University of South Australia. Um, this researcher had published over 81 reviews with the NHMRC previously. She had co-written their guidelines on how to review health evidence. Um, her review uh, reported positive findings for homeopathy. Um, that was not reported to the public. And within three days of submitting her report, she was uh, fired. Uh, the contract was terminated. So she had, posi- she had a positive... Her review, was, her, review was, her, draft, her final draft report that she handed in was positive. It was positive. Wow. Not, not comprehensively because, you know, in any data set you get poor quality studies, you get some good quality, but she said in five or six medical conditions there is currently encouraging positive evidence for homeopathy. Um, in this many conditions it's inconclusive and in this many the, the data is too poor quality to really know. This is looking at randomised controlled trials. Um, mm-hmm. So we, through sort of a pitch battle, we found out um, and eventually got hold of the report um, that, yes, it was indeed positive in some areas. 
uh, and that she was fired very soon after handing it in because it wasn't what they expected or wanted from the outcome. Mm -hmm. And um, this is a process that cost $70,000 public money that was not reported or disclosed in any annual reporting. Um, so what happened then is they hired a new contractor in late 2012, and that process started in 2013. Um, and again, their first run through, and you have to bear in mind, they've already done the review once, they know the answer, they know what the evidence says based on the first reviewer. So they start again, and the, the new reviewer produced an outcome that was also problematic for them because it wasn't wholly negative. That was handed in in March 2013. Then, and I can demonstrate this through the Freedom of Information record, they systematically reinvented the research protocol between March, between April and July 2013 to create an entire new set of rules that they retrofitted the data to uh, in order to produce a, a finding of no reliable evidence across all medical conditions. And it's a wow. bit complex, but there are two very simple things people will understand is that they introduced two retrospective um, exclusion rules to the data. They said um, that in order for a study to be reliable, it had to have at least 150 people in it. Now, mm -hmm. not everybody's a scientific researcher, but what, what anybody who is will realise that is complete nonsense. Like, nobody ever does that. It's never been done before, never been done since. Um, if a study is statistically significant and positive, you report it. Um, that they, and they did not report um, the effect that had on the evidence. So in the review, they identified 176 randomised controlled trials of homeopathy. So when they applied the 150 rule, that knocked out 146 studies, which they then said was unreliable. And what that meant was that they didn't look at them any further. They were automatically out of the equation. Um, then there were 30 studies left, and what they did, they created another rule subsequent to that that said, OK, if a study is not also um, categorised as 100% quality using various scales, it's also automatically unreliable. That knocked out of remaining 25 studies, leaving five studies that were reliable. One of those was positive, four were negative, and they said, based on this, um, there's no reliable evidence. And um, the analysis I've just given you is not in the report. We had to do that ourselves, study by study. Um, wow. So if you look at the NHMRC information paper, it's an exercise in, in completely misleading the public. And it's very technical and very long, but within that length of document, there's actually no substance. There's no actual wow. analysis of the data. So that's the story in a nutshell, but that took us a long time to work out. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where we are. And you've been... This, so this has been carrying on since 2012, 2013, this whole thing. And, you know, none of this has been reported in the media that I know of. I mean, really, this should be screamed from the rooftops. It's unbelievable well, that our taxpayer money can be, you know, used like that, just squandered like that. And um, unfortunately, of course, and, you know, this is in the documentary, the far-reaching reports, uh, the far-reaching... Uh, damaging effects that this report out of Australia has had on the entire world's perception of homeopathy. It's just, it's devastating, it's heartbreaking, it's 
crazy. It is. Like you said, it's had quite a devastating effect globally because um, because the NHMRC did it, um, other overseas governments have accepted it on face value as an authoritative Australian government report. And so you've got the UK government, the French government, um, uh, it's even impacted Germany, uh, it's Spain, Greece. Uh, they've all introduced restrictive measures based on this report and, and other reports that have been based on it since. So it's, and that was the, the hard thing to bear is that that was the intention all along. They knew that if they, repu- if they produced a government report, it would harm homeopathy. Um, I think in 2016, I went through a bit of a low patch when I, I, had, I suddenly realised overnight one day that um, what they've done to us is what government does to other groups all the time. This is not actually unusual, uh, what we're dealing with. Um, but what we are doing is challenging it. And um, what I've learned is um, why people don't challenge government is because it's really hard work. Um, but we, uh, you know, I think one of my strengths is tenacity, and so we haven't given up. And so we put a complaint into the Ombudsman in 2016, and they accepted it. Um, mm-hmm. And it also includes a number of whistleblower accounts as well, people inside government who have also corroborated what's happened. And um, the Ombudsman, I can tell you, is struggling with it because it's homeopathy. Uh, I think they know what's happened, but I think they're daunted by the task of taking on the NHMRC. So it's currently taken five years and still, they still have it on their desk. Um, wow. And we're on to the fourth investigator right now um, because, because they've been struggling. And what I can say to people is that the ombudsman's realised that this is not going away and that they have to do it properly. And that's where we are now. And so it's been hard, it's been constant, and we have relied on a lot of public support to keep this going because it is rather resource-intensive, especially for a small association like the AHA. Absolutely. Far out. So... um is there what sort of ways? I mean, we'll we'll cover this at the end as well. But you know, what what can the public do to rally behind this and to give you a hand? Because you've had a really long, hard fight. Um, you know, you've had people alongside, but mostly you've been the one running this for a very long time, um, and just making sure that that's you know that uh, continuity is there. What can the public do to rally behind mm. all this and show their support? Well, there are a lot of facets. So, again, one, one impact from this report has been they took away health fund rebates for homeopathy. Um, so private health insurers at the moment have been banned from providing health fund rebates to the public. Um, and that's also happened to 16, actually 15 other natural therapies that the NHMRC did after the homeopathy review using the same methodology, essentially. And so currently the public cannot get rebates from private health insurers. Um, so especially during a COVID pandemic when health is at a premium, it's a greater impost on people. Um, so in 2017, we created the Your Health, Your Choice campaign, um, which I encourage all people to go and have a look at. That's yourhealthyourchoice.com.au. And we created a public awareness campaign that grew very quickly. It currently has, I think, 116,000 supporters. And based on that, we lobbied government in 2017 and public pressure has resulted in the government creating new natural therapy reviews to revisit the question of health fund rebates. So what can the public do? Um, If any of you are inspired to 
um, donate to your health of your choice or to the AHA to help us keep this process going. That's always appreciated. A good way of doing that is by becoming a general member of the AHA as well. So that way you can um, not, not only donate something but get something back, um, some great resources. Um, but um, go to your health of your choice, sign up uh, and follow the Facebook page and um, like and, and share the posts that we put up there. Mm-hmm. Is one way people can help, or several mm-hmm. ways people can help. And share it with your friends. Yeah, yes, share and share, friends, it share it with your family. Mm. Mm-hmm. The it's, thing that um, you know, I don't know if it was uh, irony, but you know, I remember the the day that uh, the health rebates were taken away was actually on the first of April, twenty nineteen. On mm. April Fool's Day, out of all the days of the year, it had to be on April Fool's Day. I just um, you know thought that was a bit of a punch in the guts as well. Um, and the sad thing is that uh, none of us got any, even though we suddenly couldn't claim for 16 different healthcare, um, uh, sorry, natural health um, modalities anymore, none of us got a discount on any of our healthcare fees. So the healthcare, you know, private healthcare fees stayed the same, but suddenly we couldn't claim for all of these different natural health therapies anymore. Um, it's actually so um, sad that there wasn't more of an uproar, that more of us didn't stand up to fight for this, because a lot of families on low incomes suddenly can't claim for their homeopathic consultations anymore or, you know, all the other therapies that they used to be able to get rebates for. So, um, Well, yeah, it's, it's not a good... It's, it's correct, Eugenie. It's not a good policy, and actually um, the private health insurance industry did not agree with the policy. They actually want to be able to rebate natural therapies. So the problem is not private health care, um, mm-hmm. So in November last year, Private Healthcare Australia wrote to the government saying, scrap these new reviews, restore rebates, it's what everybody wants. There's no sound public policy platform to keep this ban in place. Um, and it's just the government based on these NHMRC reports. But I just want to say, the, the, the community did speak up in 2017 um, but instead of restoring rebates, the government introduced new reviews in order to provide a justification. Because um, we had a private meeting with Greg Hunt, the health minister, and people would be interested to know that he he privately admitted that the policy was a mistake uh, to our face. But essentially the message was uh, he couldn't be made to look bad by reversing it, so he needed a reason to give them back. Um, Mm-hmm. So these reviews are meant to have been finished in 2020 and it's now 2021 and they won't be finished until 2024 or even later. So in a sense, they haven't wow. worked. Um, so we are considering reactivating a campaign to say to government, industry, the community, private health insurers all want this back now. Your bureaucrats have kicked it into the long grass. Um, there's an election coming up, so why not just give it back? So... Everybody who's listening, please join up to your health, your choice. Uh, just go to the webpage and just sign up and, um, mm-hmm. uh, and wait for an alert to a call for action. And all you will need to do is write an email through our portal to Greg Hunt and other politicians that we, we, we will make that easy for you and let's see what we can do together again. Because mm. mm-hmm. I think time's moved on. I think the government is in a place now where they might listen. Mm-hmm. Mm. Amazing. So um, how can we turn this into something positive? How, what do you see the future of homeopathy in Australia? Because 
For me, okay. I just see this as a cycle. Homeopathy has been around for over 200 years. It has gone through times even worse than this. There was a time, you know, in uh, the AMA, if you want to go and look, the, sorry, American Medical Association, you know, gave homeopathy a very hard time uh, at one stage, you know, about 100 years ago. There used to be homeopathic hospitals all over the world, including in Australia. I don't know how many people know that. We used mm. to have a homeopathic hospital, uh, one in Sydney and one in Melbourne, I think. Um, and then the there was, um, you know, a lot of same, same but different happened and homeopathy was, you know, pretty suppressed there for a long time. And this is why I'm so passionate about empowering mothers to use homeopathy because it were, it was the mothers that kept homeopathy alive for such a long time. So for me, I feel this is just a little bit more of the same. Homeopathy is going to come out of this stronger and thriving more than ever before. So... Uh, is there anything else that you see in the future of homeopathy in Australia? Anything else that we can do? Um, you know, what have, what are your dreams and your wishes for for homeopathy in Australia and worldwide? Well, I think, like you said, homeopathy always seems to have been under the pump because it's this therapy that sits outside mainstream medicine and it's quite effective. And actually, people may not realise internationally it's the most used form of natural medicine outside orthodox medicine. Um, I think in, in developed countries, it's the number one outside orthodox medicine. And in developed country, in developing countries, it's the second most complementary medicine used. Uh, so it's very popular. It's not going anywhere. It's here to stay. But it, it is under the pump. And, and there are forces that have risen in recent times against it. Um, so what I would say to people is just use it. Use it. Um, tell your friends about it. Uh, just empower yourselves. You know, um, this... I think change and, and the survival of something starts at the grassroots. So uh, homeopathy has always been um, kept alive by mothers treating their children and then treating themselves, then treating their family, then telling other people about it. You know, a bit like what you're doing, Eugenie, is, is the way it thrives and survives. So, um, you know, what I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of fighting the political fight and looking after that political end. But I do realise that its survival is dependent upon the grassroots. Uh, essentially. Mm. So this leads me to another question, Jerry. Mm. Why do you think homeopathy is such a threat? Why are the authorities <laughs> so set on suppressing it? You know, like you will so often hear doctors and surgeons say, oh, homeopathy doesn't work. So if it doesn't work, you know, why are they so oh. set on suppressing it when, you know, Look, we're, we're not a threat anyway? So what, what's, what, are, what are they scared of? It's such an interesting question. And actually, um, as you're asking it, it took me back to working at TGA because <clears throat> when I worked at the Therapeutic Goods Administration, I was working with, you know, I was the only homeopath there. There were a few other people who were quietly, who used homeopathy, but they never spoke up about it. And what I concluded after five years was um, the people I worked with were great people. They were, they were doctors and pharmacologists and pharmacists and medical evaluators and, uh, you know, they evaluated research. Um, they were all really, really good, really intelligent people. Um, and I've still got many friends from that time. What I realised was that I think they don't... Because they become channeled down a certain way of thinking in, in their training, which is very intensive and goes on for years, they don't see anything else. And so there's an old saying, when you're a hammer, all you see is nails. And it's a bit like that. And what I concluded was many of them were not able to perceive outside that dimension. It wasn't because they were bad people or doing bad things. They just don't, are unable to perceive it. So 
I know many doctors who have tried to study homeopathy and just simply bowed out because they didn't understand it. And I think those of us who practice, our brains somehow are configured in a, in a way where we just understand this paradigm. Um, mm-hmm. And it works best when both sides simply accept each other. Um, so in every single case when you hear somebody say, especially a doctor, there's no evidence that it works, there's two things to remember. Number one, they're, they're talking about the NHMIC report, which they haven't read. They've just taken the bottom line. And number two, none of them have ever actually looked at the research. So what they are saying is not evidence-based. So um, integrative medical practitioners face exactly the same problem. You know, a lot of the things they do, mainstream doctors say there's no evidence or it doesn't work, where it is, in fact, there's heaps of evidence, you know. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that answers the question, Eugenie, but that's where I've it come does. to. It does. I was just yeah. going to say as well that you've had a lot to do with the Homeopathic Research Institute, yes. um, and I really hope we can get them on the podcast at some stage. But, you know, anyone that ever says there's no uh, evidence that homeopathy works, I always send them to the Homeopathic Research Institute website because there's so many great studies there. And the other thing is that um, because our homeopathic remedies are... Uh, Proved before we start giving it to people, um, we don't really need any of the randomized placebo-controlled studies that pharmaceutical medicine needs because, you know, pharmaceutical medicine often has, they'll design a drug, they'll give it to people, it will have all sorts of random side effects, so then they'll prescribe the drug for those, you know, side effects. So, um, yeah, I think because of how homeopathy works, we don't really need uh, randomized placebo-controlled trials and also because it's an individual medicine. But regardless of that, we still do those trials anyway because we're trying to appease, you know, the powers that be. But really, um, homeopathy doesn't doesn't need that. But we are still doing them to, you know... Well, I'd actually cut in there, like, if you are. That's one thing I learned from the HRI, from Rachel Roberts in particular, was that um, I think there is a need to conduct those trials now because if we want to be taken seriously as a, mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a medicinal system, we do need to be able to produce the research to back it up. Um, and I, I know what you're saying, Eugenie, is that um, a randomised controlled trial won't um, take the place of approving. Like, we, we, we cannot develop drugs that way. But it's become a really important area now, like you said, to say to government and other scientists, look, actually, we do have research that shows that however they're prepared, however, whatever the symptom pictures are, they do work in, in, in a real clinical setting. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's unfortunately, but also fortunately, become quite an important endeavour now. And um, what I love about working with the HRI is that they are actually really, really good top-level scientists, and they are the mm-hmm. first to admit when um, a certain data set is poor quality or not very well done. Now, we have to be honest about where the research is, and they do that. But they, that means they're also very honest about showing the studies that are good quality, that are rigorous and can't be faulted. And so, as you know, if, for those who have seen Just One Drop, um, uh, I've worked very closely with the HRI in um, challenging the NHMRC report to the Ombudsman. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Eugenie, I cut you so, off. No, no, no. I was just <laughs> about to ask um, just... Uh, a little bit about your own practice. So what do you enjoy about being a homeopath? What are some of your... Um, have you got any success stories that you want to share? What do you like about it? What's What don't you like about it? What's tricky about it? Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Oh, okay. That's a, that's, that's a good question. 
Um, well, <laughs> clinical practice, it's the one thing that has been steady for the last 22 years. It's the one thing, no matter what, no matter what other things I've done, that's always been there. And um, what I love about it is, uh, what do I love about it? I just love um, being with clients and treating challenging clinical conditions and, and seeing the results that homeopathy can produce. You know, like you, I'm sure, find as well, people come to us when they've tried everything else, often with complex conditions. Uh, often they're taking 11 or 12 medical drugs and they're feeling terrible. And you do something very simple and they, and they, uh, they come back or they phone and say, I'm just feeling better. I'm feeling more energy. I'm feeling better in myself. And off you go. And I just find that um, constantly renewing and energizing. And um, I'll be honest with you, every single time I see it work, part of me thinks, how the hell did that work? Um, it's like it's like the first day I completely in agree. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I um, have to laugh because Rajan Sankaran, who's probably one of the world's most famous homeopaths, I actually saw a quote from him recently. Mm. And I mean, he must have 30, 40 years of clinical practice behind him. And he says, every morning he goes into the clinic skeptical and every day he walks out of there a renewed, re newly converted to homeopathy because he goes in there thinking, how can this work? And then he has yeah. all these clients that come in and tell him about all their amazing health improvements. And then that evening he's just so renewed again with passion because we see the results in our clinic. And, you know, you can say placebo all you want, but we also see it with babies. We see it with animals. And I have seen it with my plants. So make from that what you like. <laughs> That's right. Um, and, that's, and that's one thing I often think about is that, like, you know, I'm, I'm meeting you today. I can tell that story to any homeopath in the world I've never met, and everyone knows exactly what we all mean because we all experience it independently. And that's a wonderful thing. In, its, in itself, that validates homeopathy because uh, it is an objective um, science. It's an objective phenomenon that those who practice it all experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I, actually, I have one last little question for you just mm -hmm. before we finish up. Just a little fun one. So your top three remedies for you personally, what are they and why is that? Your top three in your household you can't <sighs> go without. I know it's hard to only choose three, but <laughs> your top three. Mm. That's a really tough one. Um, in, the ha <laughs> in, in, in my household as opposed to my clinic? Oh, in your yeah. household, yeah, for you, for you personally. Okay, I, saw Amy, I heard Amy Lansky say this, but calendula? I have to say, is um, <laughs> yes. a terrific one. But also in my practice, because I use that more than Arnica for people who've had surgery, um, because oh. it's for situations where the skin has been, the integument has been compromised and there's internal rearrangement going on. I found it works better than Arnica internally as a homeopathic after surgery. Um, the other one in the household is Hypericum, because I've got three kids and a number of times they bang their fingers in doors or, you know, fall on their, back, on their tailbone, different things like that. Uh, we just give hypericum all the time. Um, and also, actually, hypericum oil from the plant, topically, is, is wonderful as well. Um, and that leaves us with one more. I would say HEPA self. I, okay. Just in, in my family, if, if, because what happens is that in the cold and flu season... That initial stage when they start feeling run down and get the fever and the chills. or And often before a cold or a flu, people get a bit cranky the day before, sort of as that tension builds. I find HEPA itself often knocks it on the head, especially it's if there's a sore, most, sore throat. one uh, of the most diverse remedies. Yeah, but yeah. also, you know, such a good one for infections and all sorts of things. Like, you know, that's... 
part of the power of homeopathy. It's like you can have one remedy that's really good for coughs, mm. but also really good for infections. Like it just covers so many different things. So yeah, I love Hepasoft too. I love all of the remedies, but it's just fun to try and make a homeopath uh, choose only three out of 8,000. <laughs> it's very, very difficult, but it always comes down, look, it always mm-hmm. comes down to those really common, easy remedies that um, mums and dads use every day in the home as well. Like, you know, for all your mums listening, all your parents listening, those are the ones I'm sure that, you know, as well as Arnica, of mm-hmm. course, will come up all the time. Yeah. Look, these mums I work with, they blow my mind because, you know, sometimes as homeopaths we can get really complicate things and um, with there's 720 mums in our group now mm. and they always share their success stories and their wins and then they'll say, oh, my child had a cough and I gave this remedy and it worked and I'm like, wow, that was so simple and they did it and yeah, I would have yeah, thought yeah. of all these other more complicated remedies but they just use the basics and they're getting these amazing results. Well, actually, you know, I've heard it said, and I do agree, the highest form of homeopathy, I think, is in the home first aid because you can do such profound things with, with such simple remedies without any medical training. And because um, I used to work in a homeopathic and herbal dispensary for 10 years, and I learned more from the mothers coming in telling me their stories than I did from books. You know, they'd come in and I say... I completely agree. Like, you know, my, my child had this, I gave that, and I went, Really? What did you give? What potency? What else did they have? And I, that that's where I did my... That's how I um, built up my apprenticeship was through everyday stories from people in the home. It's remarkable. Amazing. Mm. Amazing. Now, before, before we really finish off, because honestly, I could chat with you all day, and we have had several conversations in the past already, so it's just mm. so, so super special to get to have you here today and share your story with the world. But... Um, just one final round of how can people get behind this cause? What can people do to help? Where can they go mm. to find out more about you and your practice? Um, yeah, give us the rundown. Oh, well, me and my practice, I'm in Canberra. Uh, I don't have a website. It's just word of mouth. Um, that's mm-hmm. a condition I put on myself. If it's good, people will find their way, and I have a busy clinic. Um, in terms of the broader question, look, you know, to be honest, um, homeopathy is under the pump. There are, there are political and other um, forces against it by sceptics. It is very hard and it's ongoing. And we do appreciate whatever help people are willing to provide, um, um, particularly financial. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not asking for people to donate money, but if anybody's passionate, uh, they can contact the AHA. I really would encourage people to just um, sign up to Your Health, Your Choice, um, and just monitor what's going on there. Again, occasionally we pipe up and we run a campaign that makes a huge difference. So have we got time, Eugenie? I'll just mention a couple of other campaigns away, that we've go run. For it. Yes, and um, some websites yeah. as well for people to, to find Sure. You. So in, people may not be aware, but in 2018, the Medical Board of Australia put out new guidelines essentially trying to shut down integrative doctors who are used by... Millions, hundreds of thousands, how many Australians use an integrative GP? Really targeting them. Um, of course, they use a lot of complementary medicines um, that the, the, the MBA was very uncomfortable about. Um, so we ran a campaign through Your Health, Your Choice, just mums and dads. We got 10,000 personal emails to the MBA um, through a public consultation they were running that was very under the radar, but we made it a very public issue and it overwhelmed them and they capitulated. So you're hearing that, most of you, but you, I'm sure you're not even aware that was going on. So integrative medicine was that far away from being really restricted in this country. 
Um, I've mentioned the rebates campaign. We got that back on track. Um, we managed to shut down the TGA um, after the NHMRC report was trying to ban homeopathic products. Um, we managed to shut that down as well. That was a very that was a very difficult fight actually out of the public eye. Um, and there've been various other things we've done as well. So again, what I'm saying to you all: please sign up, just monitor, and be ready to respond when we start another public campaign. The campaigns we run are aimed at protecting the public from bad government decisions that take away um, freedom of choice and rights in healthcare. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's not just homeopathy, you know, it's as, across the board. Mm-hmm. Mm. As a mother, when you have something as simple as, say, chamomilla for your teething baby oh, who yes. is screaming and crying and you don't want to use Panadol because it's so, it's so hard on their liver, and then hearing that they're this safe product that's been used for over 200 years is going to get taken away from you and you can't help your teething baby with something safe like that just seems absolutely crazy to me so please do get behind this please go and sign up just run the the websites past us again uh okay so there's um the the australian homeopathic association website if you just google australian homeopathic association um, become a general member, um, you know, become part of our community and get access to great information and resources. You get, you'll get a quarterly uh, newsletter, there's a journal, there's various other resources for the public. Um, there is Your Health, Your Choice, all one word, yourhealthyourchoice.com.au. Um, there is the Homeopathy Research Institute website that Eugenie, you've already mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what was the other part of your question? I'm missing something. Uh, no, uh, I think that was it. Just, just the website. You've got me thinking now. Uh, yes, no, that's right. There was something <laughs> um, else I wanted to say, which was um, yes. we're not out of the woods. The ombudsman challenge is still pending. We really need to get a positive outcome from the ombudsman. If we don't, that may reactivate government's um, desire to then move against natural medicine and homeopathy. Um, mm-hmm. There's also the new... The other thing um, I didn't mention was that the new review of homeopathy being done by the NHMRC again, even while they are under investigation, they're doing it again, the NHMRC has recently given the review to the same contractor that is under investigation by the ombudsman. So we fear that the writing is on the wall. Are you serious? Yes, I am serious. Uh, We've protested very strongly and they've come back and said, go away. Um, So it's a slap in the face. It tells you where their intentions are. Keeping abreast and, and pushing against this is very resource-intensive and very draining. So just so people know that, you know, there are, there are still dangers on the horizon that we are trying to mm-hmm. mitigate. Um, wow. So that's where we are, which You've is why it's important. You just reminded me of something I was... Hmm. Something I was going to add is um, when you said before about this NHMRC report that went, then went all over the world, the countries that you mentioned um, are all countries that uh, were using homeopathy, you know, um, quite liberally and openly, you know, the um, British royal family has been using homeopathy for 200 years. So it's really sad that this report here in Australia has had such far-reaching effects, even in countries where homeopathy has been accepted for such a long time. So... Particularly when the report is essentially fraudulent, and that's the thing that's hard exactly. to bear. But a little good news around that is that when the Russians saw the report, uh, they said, that's rubbish, go away. Um, homeopathy is very wow. strong in Russia. And also in South America, particularly Brazil, where homeopathy is very entrenched, yes. they took one look yes. at it and said, this is scientific nonsense, we're not looking at that. And they put out their own... And Switzerland can- as well. 
And Switzerland as well, yes. They, they, they had a referendum that's included into mandatory health cover. Um, so Amazing. They're isolated pockets. So there are places that are looking at things critically and there are others that are not. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so wonderful to chat with you. Thank you so much for sharing this with us and thank you so much for your incredibly long, hard fight that you fought for so long. You definitely are very tenacious, that's for sure. And, um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. No, thank you for your time. Thanks, Eugenie.